This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. And this is Franchise Today for Wednesday, September 25th. I'm Stan Friedman, and I'm coming to you today from home base, Atlanta, Georgia. And before we dive into today's interview with Rob Price, CEO of School of Rock, a quick reminder that the front of the house is brought to you today and every day by Transitive, where they provide franchisors and franchisees with cutting-edge solutions that drive conversational marketing. More about that is coming up in just a few. And I'd also like to thank Red Boswell for joining us last week. Red's not only a ton of fun to be around, but he's got many layers of knowledge in the franchising space. And as president of IFPG, he's always happy to share. So thanks again, Red, for sharing with us right here on Franchise Today last week. If you've not downloaded that episode yet, be sure to do so. It's one of those episodes that you just don't want to miss. We've also got more than just a few franchise birthdays to celebrate this week. So what do you say we kick that off with many happy returns to Kurt Landwehr, Holly Ford, Kim Ellis, Lori Till, Andrew Lowinger, Scott Lowry, Steve Stovall, Justin Schmidt, Thomas Nieto, David Asarnow, Laura Beecher, Ken Chanel, and Fred Curry. Well, there it is. This week's front of the house and franchise birthdays. What do you say we take a quick break right now, learn a little bit more about Transitive, and then come right back to introduce today's guest interview with Rob Price. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about our newest sponsor. I'm talking about Transitive an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine, accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources, providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning, yes, artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value, but wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. And we are back to talk today about the School of Rock. The School of Rock's leadership team combines business savvy, a passion for music, and a drive to help franchisees succeed. Their leadership team is comprised of a group of experienced franchise executives who are either musicians or deeply passionate about music and music education. They know their approach is considered radical by some, 
even after so many years of success in business. In fact, now other companies are actually starting to imitate the way they do things. But that's okay, they say. In fact, they welcome the competition. Rob Price is the School of Rock's CEO. Prior to School of Rock, Rob served as president of Edible Arrangements. Before that, he was senior VP, chief marketing officer at CVS Health. Rob has also held executive roles at Wawa Food Markets, HEB Groceries, and in addition to serving as a director of Walker & Company, Rob is a member of the alumni board at the Harvard Business School, where he earned his MBA, a graduate with a BS in Applied Economics from Cornell, and was a visiting professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, a Henry Crown Fellow and Richard Braddock Scholar at the Aspen Institute. His favorite band is Steely Dan, and he is one very smart guy. Rob, welcome to Franchise Today. Stan, you just made me sound much taller than I actually am. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's great to be on the on the uh, podcast. And I loved your opening music, by the way. You must be a bit of a rocker yourself. Listen, I think we all have a little bit of that, you know, twinkle in our eyes that we've grown up with as kids, no matter what era we grew up in. There was some, there was somebody in that era that we aspired to be in and on that stage rocking out, right? So I love the concept. I think that what you do for kids is an amazing thing. Anytime you can take something that parents want kids to do and have the kids want to do it more than the parents trying to influence them, it's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah, we're part of a pretty special mission, and uh, we don't take that for granted. That's great. Well, we're going to talk about all of that and more. But I want to start out the way we do every week, which is with the statement that franchising is an unintentional way of life. Nobody went to Cornell or to Wharton or Harvard Business School to, to get into franchising. Something along the way caused franchising to find you. And we want to share with the audience what that was and when that was and what it was you were doing at that time. It's interesting, you know, for it, your your question is exactly right. You know, franchising found me after what was a really fascinating series of stages of my career doing brand development and working with uh, it, incredible uh, consumer brands and consumer experience providers that were in transition. So... You know, for those in your audience who knows who know HEB in in, in Texas or Wawa in the Mid Atlantic, uh, and certainly for people who know CVS all around the country, uh, these were all amazing brands that I I arrived to be part of the team in a marketing capacity, and uh, found myself part of a journey and part of a leadership team that were looking to transform those businesses into something different so or into something even more uh, more resonant version of itself. So in the case of Wawa, uh, transitioning from more conventional convenience into food service and, and, and solutions at HEB, really focusing in the grocery space on transitioning to prepared foods and perishables. Uh, in a world to battle Walmart at CVS, you know, I joined, I joined a, a drugstore company. And, uh, but the reality is the aspiration was to become a, uh, a healthcare company. And even within the last few weeks, there's been fascinating news about how the 
CVS has continued to do that. So I think franchising found me because in franchises, that is often what is the case is how do you preserve the most amazing thing about a brand and then how do you evolve it and continue to create revenue generation opportunities and concept freshness and sustainability of, of the business model. So I got a, I got a call uh, from uh, CEO and founder of uh, Edible Arrangements, and everybody has gotten at least one Edible Arrangement. So I so hopefully everybody knows about Edible. Magnificent brand, quite novel and, and, uh, and really nice group of franchisees. And I hadn't really thought about the franchising world, but the, the more I learned about how the franchise challenge is so similar to things that I had done before and loved doing before, and then had the added benefit of getting to co-conspire with you know, a whole community of entrepreneurs and you know, the scrum that is negotiating and navigating through, through uh, these changes but have a built-in group of people who had such investment and passion for the concept, it, it seemed to me like a no-brainer. So to your question before, maybe more people from Morton and Cornell and Harvard and every place else should be looking at franchising. I think it's a magical, magical phenomenon. And I feel like I've uh, been blessed now twice to have the opportunity to, to be immersed in it. I actually had the privilege of speaking at Cornell on franchising, both in the undergrad as well as the grad school on separate occasions. The Dyson School, I believe is what it was called, the Dyson School of Business? Yes. In fact, you know, it was much less uh, uh, elegantly named when I was there. It was the uh, uh, School of Agriculture and Life Sciences. Big change. A little branding, a little branding there, too. Studied, you know, what was called applied economics, which was the fanciest way to say agricultural economics, but now that Dyson program is actually quite uh, outstanding, real world leader in uh, training um, uh, business minds. So Tarek Fareed brought you into franchising as the president of his edible arrangements. What was that like coming into the franchise business model from a retail and food background? Well, in some ways it felt very, very familiar to me because I had dealt in the food industry uh, for many, many years, and I've been in the retail environment. So the, you know, the, the issues related to, um, the issues related to service and physical logistics and, um, uh, the customer, uh, kind of the, the customer life cycle were, were very, very comfortable to me. And then certainly the food, um, supply chain issues were comfortable to me. What was so interesting about Edible is that it had developed a remarkable following for what is a fairly narrow area of the, of, of the business, you know, gifting uh, and really gifting to others and special occasion gifting. And what, uh, what as a leadership team we were navigating through is how do we create, you know, that we're paying rent in, a, in, a, in any franchise. This applies really to any franchise, any store. You're paying rent 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How do you create more need states? 
how do you get more people coming uh, to destination? Uh, and uh, so what we were focused on was self-treating and how do we bring the smoothie business to life? How do we bring um, uh, uh, snacks for oneself to life? Um, and it was a really, really interesting marketing challenge, um, product development challenge, uh, and operational challenge. And, uh, you know, it took a lot of, uh, kind of patience and flexibility by the organization to embark on such a ambitious objective. And I, I think they're still, um, quite aggressively, uh, developing those capabilities, uh, since, since I left. My curiosity centers on the the issues of franchise relationships versus subordinates, um, employees working for you instead of franchisees working with you. Many come from other retail and food service portions of portions of the sector that aren't relevant to franchising and have a miserable time trying to make that adjustment. So I wondered if that was something that you experienced in any way at all. I did. I was there at Edible for, for three years, and it was an amazing experience. I'm still in touch with many of my, my teammates uh, from those days. And we have, we, um, we, uh, in fact, we get together uh, uh, at least uh, once a year since I've departed, a bit of a reunion. Um, and, uh, but I'd gotten an inquiry um, uh, from School of Rock. And, and what was interesting about the inquiry is that they were a little bit coy at first to describe what the details were of the concept. And so, you know, I was a little bit hesitant to, to entertain something new. But then when they said it was School of Rock, they didn't realize that, um, that I was a musician, that I have my family was musicians, that I, you know, my, my wife and three boys and I all had a family band together and recorded songs and wrote songs and performed. And I was incredibly passionate about music and the impact music had had in my life. And so um, I don't know if I want to say this in a public setting, but frankly, the company didn't have to pay me a dime to take the job. I was so excited about the match that, you know, here was this situation where I could combine my intellectual curiosities and my, my kind of business interests with something that really feels like a cause, like uh, a calling. And um, uh, so it was a, uh, that was certainly bittersweet to leave my friends at Edible, but uh, this has been a really, really amazing um, amazing transition. I feel very, 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 very blessed. So tell us about the birth of the brand. Tell us a little bit more about where it came from before it came for you. Yeah. So Edible, our, our School of Rock uh, is, is, um, is 20 plus years old. And what's interesting about it is that most people presume that it emanated from the movie or from the musical. But uh, School of Rock started out uh, uh, as the Paul Green's, uh, rock school. Uh, then I think Paul Green school of rock, etc. Um, the, the founder, um, sort of in a very rock and roll way threw his hands up and said, conventional music education is just broken. Um, you know, you take a kid who otherwise 
um, is clamoring for creative self-expression. You put him with her, him or her with a private teacher um, uh, in as uninspiring an environment as possible, or maybe even their home, which is the last place that most kids want to be sometimes. (laughs) And uh, they're told, you know, you're going to work for three, four, six months on technique and um, mechanics. And then if you're lucky, we'll work on a classical song, which you might have heard of. And then if you're further luckier, you might be able to do that in, say, nine months or a year in an annual recital. And um, what, what, uh, what, what Paul discovered, uh, which was such an insight, is that, that that's not how we teach anything else like this. You know, you don't have a child who's just learning to speak and you say, now, you may not say anything in a group setting or publicly until you can demonstrate to me that you know the vowels or the alphabet or gr- grammar. Um, you let just a kid babble. Um, and part of the pedagogy, part of the learning of a language is the context board of a language. And so um, we, um, you know, we've inherited this really good idea from 20 years ago, which still seems radical. But ironically, it's really now, you know, this is a fairly, uh, uh, you know, developed and, and um, methodical pedagogy that we have now that is based on performance-based music education. So, of course, we do give kids individual lessons, and we think that's really important. We do cover theory and technique, but um, our bread and butter is putting these kids in an ensemble and having them work for 10 to 12 weeks in our performance program towards a show that's going to be put on at a really cool venue with a real sound guy or gal and, you know, real lights and a real audience. And so they're working towards putting, they're working towards creating something which makes them hungry to learn the technique, hungry to learn the theory so they know what the vocabulary is. But um, we find it's a very addictive and effective mechanism to create the love of music for life. So uh, Paul had an amazing idea and it and what happened is it emerged to becoming a franchise, as many concepts do, because the customers, the parents in this case, were so mesmerized by the transformations in their children, not just musically, but as individuals, that they said, hey, listen, can we open one up in uh, Doylestown or can we open one up in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Norwood, Mass or uh, or uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, and it spread like wildfire. And now we're sitting, we just, uh, we'll be opening our 250th school within the next one or two weeks. And with a guy like Tony Padulo selling franchises, I'm sure that you're getting nothing but high quality applicants that are coming through your process. I've known him for 150, maybe 200 years at this point. So about half his life. Yeah, yeah, I like being around Tony because he he makes he makes you feel younger. Yeah, just a little yeah, bit. So, no, Tony is an, Tony has been a, a, an absolute gift as uh, in the business, and as you will appreciate, is that uh, you know everybody should get the chance to go to IFA with Tony. It's a little bit like being a groupie uh, with the Pope. Uh, and as he's sort of walking through, people are, you know, throwing flowers and, and waving. So he, he's a remarkable guy. And, and I think the thing that really um, 
And I think this is an interesting and generalizable observation that might be worth uh, uh, sharing with the listeners is that the reason Tony's great at what he does and the reason School of Rock, I think, is prospering is that we are in this for the long term. We are thinking about this in terms of generational wealth building. We are thinking about this in terms of uh, 10-year, 20-year, 30-year increments. We are not in this for the short uh, nickel. We're in it for the long dime. And Tony really, really acts in the best long-term interests of franchisees and prospective franchisees. And he'd rather not sell a unit and he'd rather not put it in the wrong place. And that's the best way to do friend dev. So, um, yeah, we, we have a, and Tony's very representative of the culture that we've got, um, on, on, on our team in regards to, uh, how we think about franchisees. So it was interesting listening to you talk about the School of Rock's history, and it kind of sent me into a bit of a flashback about my son's high school years. Here in, in Marietta, Georgia, he was a student at a high school who is renowned for their marching band program. And the school every year participates, well, not every year, but quite frequently in the Tournament of Roses and in the Macy's Parade. And there were four, maybe three or four time national band champion. And so they get a collection of kids that aspire to be part of the band. And what they put those kids through in terms of commitment is amazing to me. But it's not, the kids aren't complaining about it. They, you know, it's after schools, it's weekends, it's on tarmac out in the middle of summer doing practice drills. And it's almost like a military boot camp, but the kids love what they're doing. And I just wonder if you would have taken instead of a traditional approach to the music and and modify that to a school of rock type approach to music, might you even double or triple or quadruple the enrollments in the high school marching band? Uh, that's band. right. I mean, uh, you, you know, you take you take what's addictive about um, uh, and engaging about a marching band experience. It's the same principles. It's an ensemble. Um, it is, you know, it's all about the rush of the performance. I mean, the, the reason you practice is for the game. Um, it's not for the sake of practicing. You know, we always say, you know, we don't, we don't uh, 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 learn, learn music to put on shows. We put on shows to learn music. And I think that that is a generalizable um, kind of belief and ideology about um, action-based learning, performance-based learning, which would apply to almost any other activity that a kid or an adult would be involved in. We teach adults too. So talk a little bit about the experience from the perspective of the consumer. I'm assuming it's moms who are primary customers that are signing their kids up for after-school programs, summer camps. Tell us about the experience and, and what is it that a consumer is experiencing when they're introduced to School of Rock? So, you know, for in many cases, um, you know, the, the first exposure to a School of Rock is through word of mouth or through a community event. You know, when we do so much performance-based uh, learning that we have a lot of performances, thousands and thousands and thousands around the world uh, of performances where our uh, school's house band or somebody who is performing the end of their 10 or 12 week season doing the Led Zeppelin show or doing a British Invasion show. 
uh, will do so in the community. So mom might see that or mom might hear about it on social media, see the, you know, the ecstatic kids uh, and hear how Johnny, um, you know, their neighbor or their cousin um, in just a few months had developed basic musical proficiency and, and was clamoring for more. So that's one very, very important way in that uh, mom, and you're right, mom typically is the decision maker uh, for School of Rock. Um, that's, that's a very typical way into the brand. And then we get to know the kid. We do a trial lesson. Uh, and more often than not, the, the kid has such a great experience. And we, uh, we endeavor to get them matched with a show and cast in a show. Uh, or if they're truly a novice, uh, we'll work them through our, our uh, Little Wing or our Rookies program or Rock 101 and get them ready to be in a performance program. So we'll take a kid if they know something, if they know nothing uh, about music. And then uh, uh, the other, the, the bulk of the, the um, other cu customers come through when they already know that they're looking for music education and they'll do uh, online uh, search for guitar lessons or for uh, keyboard lessons, etc. And uh, we'll make sure that we're in the right place at the right time digitally to help uh, bring School of Rock to the fore in their decision making. Uh, we work progressively with our owners, uh, our franchisees and our marketing department to really tailor and target our communications at just the right time with just the right words, just the right way to motivate somebody to consider School of Rock above all else. And so you're doing lessons that are both individual as well as groups together. That's what we find is the sweet spot. So um, uh, the, the, there's an enormous rapport that's built up between an instructor and a student where you can work on sp specific areas of uh, focus and, and really construct a, um, a curriculum that's just for them using our materials and our resources. But you're also working with that student in support of the particular songs that we're, they're working on for the show. So let's say that student's a, a guitarist and working on four guitar parts um, for uh, as part of the uh, Women in Rock show, and they're struggling on um, you know a particular uh, Blondie song. Well, they'll work through that, and then that instructor will use that as a teachable moment and say, okay, well, the reason that that sounds the way that it does, you, you want to play it with a minor seventh, but it's a major seventh because it's really trying to get to this next chord. So um, it becomes an excuse they don't know their learning theory a lot of the time, but it becomes an excuse for us to teach music theory and to advance their proficiency as they're preparing their materials. So we think the combination of the group performance program and an individual lesson is uh, incredible. And it's hard to get four hours of attention from a student a week, uh, but our kids are uh, combounding into our schools um, ready to go. It sounds like an amazing and incredible program, and the fact that you take this from youngsters all the way to adults is even all the more impressive. We're going to take another quick break and come back and talk more about the franchise side of this business and learn a whole lot more from you, Rob. 
right here on Franchise Today. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today? Take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot-on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. And we're talking today with Rob Price, CEO of the School of Rocket, about an amazing concept, both from the consumer's point of view, and we're about to talk more about the franchise side of life. So, Rob, you, you told us you have 400 plus out there? We have 250 schools now and, and well over 300 in development, uh, in, in either open or in development. And talk about the territories and the kinds of operations that you are offering. Are these single units? Are these multi-unit operators? Or are these passionate people that are hands-on working in their one and only school of rock? What's interesting is we see all of the above. Um, you know, the we have owners who are um, – uh, you know, not not unlike many of us who are at a point in their career where they really want to be doing what they want to be doing. And, uh, and for, for some of those folks, one unit is enough. Um, for some of those folks, one unit uh, is what they start with, but then they love it so much they want to expand. Others, others and we, we certainly encourage and, and are open to this, others start with the intent to do two or three or more. We're always focused though on making sure that there's a good amount of time between a unit, the first unit that opens, second and third, so that uh, the, that that we don't race through and have a, uh, a deficient operation or an owner pulling their hair out. Uh, and then we also have circumstances, uh, our international develop now, development going forward is going to be exclusively through master uh, franchisees. We have a mix today of direct franchising and master franchising, uh, but going forward, our, we're we're focusing exclusively on uh, master franchise arrangements. We're nine, yeah, we're nine countries today, and I would expect for us to be expanding, you know, three to four more over the next 18 to 20. So with a business like this, I'm certain that there are some attributes that you look for in franchise ownership that must come with the applicant. And of course, I'm sure there are things that are teachable that anyone can learn, but what are those must-haves that people must bring with them when they come see you? Teaching kids. 
and not just their own kids, but other people's kids. You know, you can be an incredibly affectionate parent and dedicated to your own kids and really be driven crazy by other people's kids. It's really important to have uh, uh, energy and patience for uh, for other people's children and their parents. You you have to be a music nut. You don't necessarily need to be a musician, but I think it is very difficult to jump to jump into this without being able to rattle off some pretty impressive trivia about early rock and roll or, you know, anecdotes about your first concert. Because so much of what we talk about and so much of what we trade in is based on the substance of music. Um, And then I think there are other attributes which are very, very important, probably for any franchise, maybe even more so for for in child education is we need people who are fastidious, who are very focused on operational discipline because we have young lives involved in it. So we have to make sure it's a safe environment. We have to make sure it's a, it's an inclusive environment and that we're doing everything in a very, very uh, disciplined way. Um, and, and maybe if I can throw one other in, Stan, is that we're actually looking for the right balance between doing it for the money and not doing it for the money. And what I mean by that is that we will get worried if somebody is not interested in this as a commercial venture, because I don't think it serves the long-term interest of the brand's growth. If somebody doesn't strive to grow student count and sales and profitability in their enterprise. On the other hand, we want to be very careful. I get very worried when I meet a prospective franchisee and they say, we're thinking about this versus this food service brand versus this sign brand versus uh, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be because you are maddeningly in love with music and passionate about this, the uh, preservation of that art form and you know changing society through music education. So I, I often refer to that as the need for trading in more than one currency. You've got to have cash as king and takes money to make money, but there are people that have passions for doing well by doing good and for serving other parts of their heart space that the cash register doesn't ring the bell for them all by itself. I'm curious about a day in the life. In many other businesses that I've been around in the franchise world that involve kids, it's not the franchisee's day-to-day role, typically, like in many tutor uh, or learning centers. The franchisee is not doing the tutoring. The franchisee is running a business that delivers tutoring. In your case, though, it sounds like the passion for music and the need to be center stage for the franchisee is prevalent. Am I missing that or am I on that right? I I think that's true, but I would be very, uh, I'd be remiss if I left the impression that being musician in chief is really my central role. I know less than most of our franchisees and certainly most of our music directors. I am, I am a, uh, I'm a enthusiastic guitar player, but I would never play publicly because I don't play that well. Uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a, a passionate keyboard player, but that isn't my principal contribution. There are plenty of musicians and many, and if not the vast majority are better than I in those credentials. My job is more about establishing the systems, the processes, the culture, the vision for, for where the brand is going, 
Now, what I would say a big part of that job is being out on the road. I spend as much time as possible visiting schools, talking to owners, talking to music directors and GMs and students and parents. And that is central to shaping the vision for the future, but also to gaining enrollment for uh, once we decide to go headlong into something that you can have a personal conversation with an owner and say, hey, listen, how are you feeling about it? And how do we navigate through your resistance to it? What about the day in the life of the Z? What does the franchisee's day look like? Well, that's really uh, interesting because the days are very different. You know, so a, a typical day would be, you know, the, uh, you know, our schools typically open around 2 p.m. and are open till 8 or, 8 or 9 or later in some cases. And depending on whether the franchisee is an owner or an operator, let's assume that they're an operator. Some franchisees assume the role of the general manager, which is going to be much more about lead development, client relationships, scheduling, billing, marketing, uh, lead conversion, etc., staffing, payroll. Some of our franchisees choose to hire that out or to have a spouse or uh, a family member play that role, and they choose to be music director. That's going to be about casting and about pedagogy and training and equipment and gear and shows and, uh, and run of show uh, and the physical logistics of getting to the show, teaching the kids how to break down and build up. And then obviously connecting with all of our instructors to make sure that the instructional experience is great. So you see, we also have passive owners who um, hire out on both of those skills. You tend to see that more with multi-unit operators. But even in those cases, you do find that the more passive owner does get involved with the community, get involved with parents, and stays very, very focused on the, uh, the brand experience. And as far as site selection, not site selection, but franchisee selection is concerned, what can you share with the audience in terms of, especially in the case of where you're dealing with youngsters, although not all of your customers are kids, I've got to believe that there's an extra special need for the proper selection of franchisees when you're dealing with youth. Absolutely. And, you know, from the very, very beginning of the process, uh, first of all, we emphasize that as a critical factor. Um, we do background checks, uh, and we do those uh, on an ongoing basis uh, with our uh, franchisees and our owners. Uh, and the, there's a very, very methodical process of interviewing executive interviews of prospective franchisees. Uh, and then we meet them all in person. And uh, in the last two years, every prospective franchisee um, that we've brought into the system, I have met in person uh, first. So, you know, my view is that that is the most central thing that a CEO can do is to main maintain the integrity of the franchise base. And especially, as you said, given what we do, you know, we have a, a little bit of a peculiar narrative as part of our process is that we actually work to convince people not to do this. Uh, we, I close each of our opening acts giving the reasons why I would recommend someone not do School of Rock because we really only want people who are fully committed. Once they've been vetted, we also only want people who are maddeningly crazy passionate about what we're doing because those are the folks that tend to be most successful. 
Was opening act a creative way of saying Discovery Day? Uh, thank you for clarifying that. It's so secondhand for me. But yes, our Discovery Day, we call opening act. And uh, and I, I, I'd like to say it's our only music pun, but it's not. Uh, we're, uh, we're pretty aggressive users of music terminology. How do you deploy your Discovery Days? Um, there are some that are brands that actually put them at the front where Discovery Day is an appropriate name for the event and others that make them more like decision days toward the back of the process. Where do you use yours? We view it much more at the end and we'll endeavor to have, uh, I prefer to not have more than three or four parties, five at the most, because I view it as a time for us to really, really, really evaluate the prospect. Uh, at that point, it is more likely than not that the franchisee has already decided to proceed. And now it's really a matter of saying, boy, you know, franchise agreements are longer than most marriages. Let's be sure this is right. Uh, we'll be stuck with each other longer than you have to be with your spouse. So let's be absolutely sure. So we are definitely of the mind that a discovery day, or in our case, the opening act should be as close to the point of decision as possible. And that does sometimes create some tension because if we find in the situation where we're, we're not feeling like there's a match, there's been a lot of investment of time and energy, but we still feel as if it's that's, that's the right trade-off. We're getting pretty close to the top of the hour here. And Rob, I, every time I do an interview, I get to this point in juncture and say to my guest, is there anything, anything that I didn't ask you yet that you wish that I did? Well, I guess the only thing that I might bring to the four that we haven't talked about is you know, what, you know, is there, is there something that distinguishes one franchise versus, versus another in terms of its success? And from my perspective, being a student of other franchises and being a participant in two, I think the thing that I've learned is that if you have a community that is built on passion, the profit will follow the passion. It's not guaranteed. You have to be business-like and aggressive about pursuing it. But I think one of the things that's so special about School of Rock that's been driving our growth is that it is fueled by a very potent uh, formula, which is uh, passion. And um, I'd, I'd urge franchisors that are not feeling it about their franchise, find one you're feeling about it. If you're a prospective franchisee listening to this podcast and you're doing this for a reason other than passion, I would be very careful, very careful. So that's one of the things that I've really learned by having the blessing to be part of the School of Rock family over the last two plus years. I often say that the two ingredients that are required that are absolutely mandatory for someone to be successful in franchising is you have to have money. You can't make money without having money to start with in a business. And the second, of course, is spot on. It's passion. You've got to have passion for what you're doing, and you've got to as much be building a culture as much as a business, and everybody has to be in alignment in that culture, or really, it's not a, a culture to be around at all if it's any other way. Rob, a little contact info for the audience to be able to get back in touch and find you if they want to learn more about both franchise opportunity or just more about the School of Rock in general. Absolutely. I'm, a, I'm a eager to hear from people on LinkedIn. Just look me up and uh, and introduce yourself. And then uh, as far as School of Rock, schoolofrock.com, and you can find out about our concept if you want to learn the drums or if you want to become a franchisee, we'd be happy to meet you. Uh, just go to our franchising page on schoolofrock.com. 
I'm really delighted that you were able to carve out some time for us and join us today and share some of the nuggets of somebody who's been around franchising from more than one point of view and has such a really great concept to be out there leading the charge with. Can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today, Rob. And remember, please, to subscribe to Franchise Today at Blog Talk Radio, and that you can download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or virtually any place where podcasts are found. Remember, too, that you can even ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today, and she will be more than happy to accommodate. Remember to like us on Facebook, and until next week, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.